0: I'm Ken Sandberg.
1: And I'm Heather Michelle Waller.
0: Welcome to Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. Is it
1: 2022 yet? (laughs) Too
0: soon? Sadly, yes, too soon. Uh, I do think 2021 is off to an exciting start, though.
1: Sure, it's been at least 365 days since we celebrated New Year's Eve. (laughs) At least in my heart and soul, that's what it feels like.
0: No, uh, some of us have aged 365 days.
1: I've had 365 glasses of wine. (laughs) I don't think I've had quite that many, but (laughs) I think maybe. uh, How do you feel? Hi, everyone.
0: Well, uh, I feel I am very proud to announce that for me, dry January continues.
1: Yes, you're standing strong. I, I... have not
0: had I have not had a drink since we toasted the new year <laughs> minutes after midnight on January first.
1: Whereas I on the night of the Georgia runoff, which went really well, okay, okay, twenty twenty one does have that going for yeah. it. Yeah so fuck yes Stacey abrams fuck yes georgia thank you thank you thank you for being the coolest state in our nation by far right now i would kill it like seriously um but so that's a good but yeah i had i just had like some wine that night like and then the next night we all know what happened i'm not going to talk about it because this is not a political podcast But shit went down, and uh, it wasn't super fun to watch. (laughs) What I'm kind of hoping, so what I've seen people posting a lot of, is after the Spanish flu, out came the Roaring Twenties, and we are now in the Twenties again. And the Roaring Twenties were pretty fun. <laughs> they
0: they were. I will I say, I mean, there was
1: a lot of gangsters and like alcoholism, so maybe not great. But that explains a lot. Well, the
0: Roaring Twenties also led pretty directly into the Great Depression. So, like, let's hope uh, let's hope we're not following a decade by decade. See,
1: those memes tended <laughs> to ignore that part. Uh, but I'm just hoping that. Some artists out there are more mentally stable than I am at the moment, and are creating great things. <laughs> I don't know. We're creating this though. Yeah, this <laughs> hey, is this is doing all right. I'm fucking here. We're here. We're doing the thing. Um, yeah. And uh, speaking of, we actually have a new patron this week.
0: That's right.
1: It's been a while. Uh, we haven't really been promoting the Patreon page. Um, uh, but this is episode thirty.
0: <laughs> Happy 30 episode anniversary.
1: Oh my gosh, we are like dirty 30. This is our dirty 30 episode and uh um we have a new uh patron named Stefan Brock. Hey Stefan, thank you. You're the shit. We love you. Thanks
0: for thanks for joining the team.
1: Yeah, welcome welcome. And if you're interested in becoming a patron, we haven't done this in a while. You can head to uh, Patreon.com and look for Fifty Fifty Arts Production, um, and uh, that link is on our website at CampfireClassicsPodcast.com. So yeah. we would love that. I mean, we haven't been promoting it because we're enjoying doing the thing. But w- yeah. you know, we enjoy doing the thing even more is when we make just a little bit of money while we do it.
0: <laughs> yep. So we do have a uh, correction to make. Every once in a while, we have these. My mom, uh, a few days ago, texted me. um, If you've been following the show, you know that my mom is currently living on a boat somewhere off the coast of Mexico. And is a former teacher. Actually, at the moment, I think she's... On she's land. She's in San Diego. She's now. in San Diego right now. But she's living on but a boat, living primarily <laughs> on a boat off the coast of Mexico. But she she texted us a few days ago uh, to point out that a few episodes ago, I think during the episode of the fir, the one about the fir tree, right?
1: The fir tree. Um, yes.
0: We we discussed uh, sweet meat and it being a decoration on Christmas trees and laughed <laughs> about the ridiculousness of meat going up on trees um my mom pointed out that sweet meat is actually just candy um (laughs) and the the meat m-e-a-t in sweet meat is actually based on the old english meat m-e-t-e which just means food um so yes, so
1: they weren't decorating their trees with uh, goose pancreas and stuff. So that makes me feel better about life.
0: Yeah, we we were we <laughs> we, we were confused both... with
1: sweet breads and sweet meat. Yeah. yeah,
0: sweet sweet breads is um
1: is foie gras in,
0: internal organs <laughs> turned into it. It's eh.
1: controversial food.
0: <laughs> um, but no. So the the sweet little Christmas tree was being decorated in like, like candy, candy canes, canes and gumdrops, yeah. not not goose liver. So
1: you'll sleep better at night um, knowing that yeah. I know I will.
0: And <laughs> thank you mom for pointing out for our, being the
1: eternal teacher, our
0: um, <laughs> mistake. Uh, actually the text message she sent ended with it's funnier your way, but once a teacher, <laughs> <laughs> we are
1: ridiculous, but we do like facts as well. Yeah. So if we ever do something and you're like, nah, you just send us a, a message on any of our platforms and uh, we will absolutely give a correction. Yeah, We (laughs) We do all this on the fly except for the research on the fun facts. So, so,
0: yeah. If we screw anything up, let us know. We'll try to retract and or correct. Yeah. Awesome. All right. The sharp-eared listeners might notice today that um, you can probably, like, hear my pulse right now. (laughs) Uh, About an hour ago, I downed a large turtle mocha cooler for, from caribou coffee and i'm damn near vibrating off of my chair
1: that's funny because i didn't <laughs> i woke up at like four o'clock last night and was awake until 8 30 in the morning i am halfway through my caribou uh uh iced coffee and i'm just awake <laughs> so so one of us is on a sugar high and and one of us is uh, sustaining purely on caffeine yeah, and keep, excitement of a new patron.
0: Keep keep your ears peeled for that sugar crash that ought to be hitting about two-thirds of the way through the oh, story. good, because
1: you're reading today.
0: <laughs> <laughs> this segment brought to you by Caribou, Caribou Coffee. Coffee.
1: If they want to sponsor us. Caribou? Caribou?
0: <laughs> well, we'll add them on... We're totally
1: going to uh, add them in the show on, notes.
0: On Twitter and Instagram. Yeah. And- Whatever else,
1: I love it. Uh, speaking of uh, your sugar crash, um, maybe we should get to uh, the story. So get maybe, get get maybe to it. Get you going.
0: Get to it. Hopefully, we can finish this thing before the crash hits. Get her
1: going. <laughs> All right. So we have a new author this week. Ooh,
0: that's exciting.
1: And it is an author that, well, at least this story has recently come into public domain because it's 2021.
0: Oh, yes. Um, I suppose we should have done something about this for our first episode of the new year, but happy Public Domain Day, everyone. For
1: 1925. A
0: whole crop of new books and songs and art and whatnot just came into the public domain. Any book, short story, or song written in 1925 is is now... Public domain.
1: Public domain. I mean, certain recordings of them are not, but the actual material is. So, like, we are super excited for the Muppets Great Gatsby.
0: Absolutely. (laughs) I'd also be intrigued by a Muppets Mrs. Dalloway, but I can't imagine that's going to happen.
1: I want to see a Muppets 1984. (laughs) (laughs) Like, honestly, right now, just fucking do it. (laughs) Like...
0: Muppet's Animal Farm.
1: Oh my, okay, that that's just almost wrong.
0: <laughs> Which is <it> already kind of...
1: <laughs> oh no, is. oh no. Anyway, okay, so this author, um, most of his stuff is still uh, under copyright, but this story is not, so uh, you're going to get to read it. So awesome. This is by uh, Richard Horatio Edgar Wallace, or better known as Edgar Wallace.
0: I'm curious why it is some people have two middle names. I don't know. And then some people who, even though they're wildly famous, don't get any. Some of them don't even get a last name. I feel really bad for Cher.
1: Um, Cher only gets, (laughs) Cher only needs one name, like Beyonce. (laughs) Madonna. Madonna, Barbara, like, you uh, you mean a bet? The Pope. I mean, the current Pope's pretty cool. All right. So Edgar (laughs) Wallace. So uh, he was born on April 18th, 19... He was born on April 1st, 1875. (laughs) Um, And he was born into poverty as an illegitimate child born to two actors.
0: Poor little bastard.
1: <laughs> it's funny because that's what he is. So he he his parents were Richard Horatio Marriott Edgar. That was his dad's name. So he got Richard Horatio Edgar from his dad. And then Mary Jane Richards um, was the actress. So they were both in the Marriott acting troupe okay. in England. And they had what was called a broom cupboard style sexual encounter during an after party. Whoa. (laughs) Now, for all our actor friends out there, we all know that some like cast parties get a little cray cray. They got real cray cray in the broom cupboard.
0: All right, but let's be fair, that is not just actors. Oh, no. Anyone whose company has ever had a Christmas party.
1: Oh, well, yes, that's very true. Very, very true. Um, We've all seen Love, actually. (laughs) Um, So Mary Jane uh, discovered she was pregnant. (laughs) Her name's Mary Jane. uh, Yeah, her name was Mary Jane. Uh, She discovered she was pregnant, and she invented a fictitious obligation in Greenwich, like... As in, like a an acting gig in Greenwich for half of year, half a year, and where she obtained a room in a boarding house and lived until her son's birth on April first, eighteen seventy five. So uh, he
0: was also born on April Fool's Day.
1: <laughs> oh God! I didn't even put that together. Damn. All right. During her confinement, she asked her midwife to find a couple to foster the child. um, And she introduced them to the Freemans, a mother of 10 children, whose husband, George Freeman, was a fishmonger. So on April 9th, so eight eight days after his birth, um, his mother, Mary Jane, took Wallace to the semi-literate Freeman family and then made arrangements to visit them often and pay occasionally. So kind of like Fontaine and Les Mis. <laughs> like she. But these people were much nicer than the Tenardiers. I will tell you that right now. All right. But so she was going to send a check uh, to cover his expenses and he was going to stay there. So her her name would stay clean. Um, Wallace was... Uh, had a very happy childhood there actually um, and became very close with uh, Clara Freeman, uh, who was like his, the oldest sister daughter of them. And she kind of became a second mother to him by 1978. So this was like three years after he was born, his mother could no longer afford the small sum he'd been, she'd been paying. So instead of them sending the boy to the workhouse, the Freemans adopted him. Which is very nice. All right. Um, they were really awesome people. He, Like I said, he had a great childhood, and uh, he never saw his mother again. So, mama, go bye-bye. Um, so, his foster father, George Freeman, though they were not very well off, he wanted Richard to get a good education. And for a while, he attended St. Alpha Jean and St. Peter's, which was a boarding school in Peckham. Uh, but he was a true, he was truant and he left his full-time education at the age of 12. <laughs> so he's like, mate.
0: This is boring. I don't like school.
1: Yeah. Well, and like, it's really interesting that I think it's because he was a foster, um, and he displayed uh, high intelligence at a young age. So they wanted to educate him, um, but he was like, nope, not into it. So by his early teen years, Wallace held down numerous jobs, such as a newspaper seller uh, near Fleet Street. <laughs> Demon Bopper of Fleet Street. I just got excited because it was Fleet Street. Uh, he was a milk delivery boy, a rubber factory worker, a shoe shop assistant, and a ship's cook. So he was just working because, you know, it was the 1800s and little boys could, you know, have full-time jobs because life um but he was dismissed from one of his jobs when he was uh, a milk runner for stealing money <laughs> uh so that part of his life is kind of like he was just working he was doing what kids did then like you know they sure there
0: were no child labor there were no so. child
1: labor laws and if you weren't in school you were working I mean that's what it was um so by the time he got to age 21 he enlisted in the infantry army. And was a war correspondent for Reuters and the Daily Mail um, during the Second Boer War.
0: Yeah, so that that sort of answers my question right there. Um, how the fuck old is Reuters?
1: Old as hell. <laughs> Same with the Daily Mail, but like, yeah, I mean, legitimate. So uh, he registered when. So when his name officially changed, was when he registered for the British Army, and he changed his name to Edgar Wallace. Um, after the author of Ben-Hur, who is <laughs> Lou Wallace. So All right. Um, he didn't love the military, and he I basically mean, just kept finding ways to be a correspondent. Um, uh, in 1903, he left South Africa and returned to London, and he began writing thrillers to raise income and published some books, including The Four Just Men in 1905, um, which kind of started him getting going on the crime crime and thrillers track as well as he continued to do journalism poetry ballads uh he then signed with hotter and stoughton in 1921 which is so like again he's lived twenty thousand lives so there's 15 years missing which we could go on and on about um but 1921 is when he became internationally recognized huh um So he had a couple firsts. Um, Wallace was the first British crime novelist to use policemen as his protagonists rather than amateur sleuths. Huh. So instead of having like Sherlock Holmes or, you know, uh, like a Miss Marple or whatever, like he used the actual police force.
0: Like constable whoever. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Huh. Um, That's cool. So he sort of created the police procedural genre.
1: He might be the reason Law and Order SVU and Law and Order and Law and Order and all those Law and Orders exist, yes. Huh. Probably. I mean, really, because it's the focus on the police work the actual police work. Um, He also had another first. In June of 1923, Wallace became the first British radio sports reporter (laughs) when he made a report on the Derby for the newly- uh, founded BBC, <laughs> he was well, the damn. first freaking sports reporter. <laughs> so yeah, um, so then he ran for political office
0: because why wouldn't you?
1: Um, to as the Liberal MP for Blackpool, and he did not. He didn't get elected, so he decided, "Fuck it, I'm moving to Hollywood." <laughs> so then he worked as a scriptwriter for RKO. Jesus. <laughs> yep. Um, so that was in 1931. And then, unfortunately, he died suddenly from undiagnosed diabetes uh, during the initial drafting of King Kong, which he was a writer which on. Which he was a writer on. Yep. Huh. So to sum up, again, I, I know we're going to read him again because of this next statement. Wallace was such a... Pl- 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 <laughs> that statement.
0: Wow. Wow. <laughs> That um
1: it was a plop plop plop. The
0: eloquence and I am
1: very creativity
0: articulate. in that phrase makes me uh want to know who 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 came up with that.
1: I need more coffee. Wallace was such a prolific writer that one of his publishers claimed that a quarter of all the books in England were written by him. <laughs> As well as journalism, Wallace wrote screenplays, poetry, historical, nonfiction, 18 stage plays, 957 short stories, and over 170 novels. 12 in 1929 alone. More How than is... 160 films have been made of Wallace's work.
0: How is it possible? that I am hearing about him for the first time right now.
1: Right? Part of the problem is, so he sold over 50 million copies of his combined works in various editions, and The Economist described him as one of the most prolific thriller writers of the 20th century, although a great majority of his books are out of print in the UK, but can be read in Germany. So a bunch of his books just kind of disappeared. So
0: much like David Hasselhoff... (laughs)
1: Oh god <laughs> this man is now turning when, in his grave
0: when the english-speaking world failed to appreciate his greatness the germans picked up the flag
1: um i guess so so thank you germany even though
0: although this is wait he died in the 30s so this is pre-hitler yeah, germany so
1: that's good I, so it means the book survived <laughs>
0: Apparently the books survived the burnings. Uh, apparently,
1: or maybe maybe the books in England were transferred there after to try and help restore their libraries and the British forgot to publish them again.
0: Oh, that's what it is. <laughs> Edgar Wallace simply his books replaced all of the books that were burned in
1: And that's Germany. why Germany only has Edgar Wallace books apparently. <laughs> anyway um that's the beginning of edgar wallace so let me tell you this man had 50 lives and he he died relatively young like so pretty incredible so let's uh let's get down to business today you will be reading as i said uh, a story that just came into public domain as of 10, 11, 12 days ago. No, it
0: depends on it depends on when this episode goes live.
1: Yeah, whatever. Whatever day it is, it's sometime in 2021 and you will be reading The Strange Case by Edgar Wallace.
0: All right. Let's start this fire.
1: Let's do it. Oh, it's toasty.
0: The Strange Case from the collection The Mind of Mr. J.G. Reader by Edgar Wallace. In the days of Mr. Reader's youth, which were also the days when handsome cabs plied for hire and no gentleman went abroad without a nosegay in the lapel of his coat.
1: What's a nosegay? I'm
0: sorry. <laughs> um, what?
1: Like, y- you can look it up it if snuff? you want,
0: but no, I assume it's a flower. Like... Oh, so you can smell well, it. Oh, because mm.
1: when things are stinky on the street, you can yeah, be like, which can, is also what snuff was used for. You can
0: look up the term if you want, but I, I assume that's I kind of do. I'm
1: sorry. I know we just started, and I hate to stop in the first like <laughs> sentence. Off to a but good start. A nosegay, posy, or toosie moosie.
0: Toosie moosie.
1: <laughs> toosie moosie is a small flower bouquet typically given as a gift. They existed in some. They've been insi- They've existed in some form since medieval times, where they were carried or worn around the head or bodice. So yeah, I mean they were held. So like as you were walking through the street, so you wouldn't smell the you know, shit and garbage and everything. But toosie, toosie moosey, or a news gay, or a nose gay, or a posy. Interesting. Yeah, toosie moosey. T U S S I E. Dash M-U-S-S-I-E. Toosie Moosie. Toosie Moosie. Um, or
0: possibly Tussie Mussie.
1: Tussie Mussie. Either way, I'm bringing that term back.
0: <laughs> Great. I will never again leave the house without my Toosie Moosie.
1: <laughs> or your Tussie Mussie.
0: <laughs> or my Musty hussy.
1: Do you have a Musty hussy somewhere? <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have to talk about that this. That actually
0: doesn't sound like it smells very good. It doesn't.
1: It sounds pretty gross.
0: <laughs> <clears throat> Uh, so in all of the excitement over the term nosegay, I think we lost sight of the fact that the narrator just called Mr. Reader old. So I'm going to start okay. back from yeah, the beginning. start from the beginning. <laughs> in the days of Mr. Reader's youth, which were also the days when handsome cabs plied for hire and no gentleman went abroad without a nosegay in the lapel of his coat, he had been sent in company with another young officer from Scotland Yard, To arrest a youthful inventor of Nottingham who earned more than a competence by methods which were displeasing to Scotland Yard. (laughs) Not machines nor ingenious contrivances for saving labor did this young man invent, but stories.
1: Oh, is this? I I feel like we're about to learn about Robin Hood. (laughs) 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 In Nottingham.
0: And they were not stories in the accepted sense of the word, for they were misstatements designed to extract money from the pockets of simple-minded men and women.
1: Um...
0: (laughs) So he lied to people to get money from them. He's a con man. So
1: he's Donald Trump. He's a con man. Great.
0: Mr. Eiter employed no fewer than 25 aliases and as many addresses in the broadcasting of his fiction, and he was on his way to amassing a considerable fortune when a square-toed nemesis took him by the arm and led him to the seat of justice. Bye! An unsympathetic judge sent Mr. Eiter... To seven years penal servitude.
1: Oh, I hope Trump gets some penal servitude.
0: <laughs> penal servitude just sounds like he, he joined a BDSM cult. <laughs> an unsympathetic judge sent Mr. Eider to seven years penal servitude, describing him as an unconscionable swindler and a menace to society, at which Willie Eider smiled for he had a skin beside which the elephant's was gossamer silk. Mr. Reader remembered the case chiefly because the prosecuting attorney, commenting upon the various disguises and subterfuges which the prisoner had adopted, remarked upon a peculiarity which was revealed in every part which the convicted had played, his inability to spell any. Abel, which he invariably wrote as though he were naming the victim of Cain's Envy.
1: Okay, so we have a con man who has a bunch of aliases and swindles money out of people and can't spell.
0: Yeah, well, he can't spell the word Abel. He always spells it like the name Abel instead of the the word Abel.
1: I'm just lining it up. Keep going. (laughs)
0: There is this identity to be discovered in every criminal, however ingenious he may be, the advocate had said. Whatever his disguise, no matter how cleverly he dissociates one role or pose from another, there is a distinguishable weakness common to every character he affects and especially is this observable in criminals who live by fraud and trickery. This Mr. Reader remembered throughout his useful life. Few people knew that he had ever been associated with Scotland Yard. He himself evaded any question that was put to him on the subject. It was his amiable trait to pretend that he was the veriest amateur, and that his success in the detection of wrongdoing was to be traced to his own evil mind that saw wrong very often where no wrong was.
1: Uh, so they're saying this detective was only a detective because he was, he himself evil?
0: No, (laughs) this detective said that he was only good at being a detective because he himself was evil. Oh. Or had an evil mind.
1: Okay, (laughs) well, that's that's uh, bold of him.
0: Well, figuring in order to get into the mind of a criminal, you have to think like that's why
1: they hire the FBI and Secret Service and stuff tends to hire past criminals as uh, consultants.
0: It's also part of why uh, uh, Sherlock Holmes is so good. How do you how do you track a a sociopath?
1: sociopath. Yep.
0: (laughs) You got to think like him.
1: Yep, I guess. All right, cool.
0: He saw wrong in so many apparently innocent acts of man that it was well for his reputation that those who were acquainted with and pitied him because of his seeming inadequacy and unattractive appearance did not know what dark thoughts filled his mind. Whoa.
1: Oh, no. (laughs) Where is this going? I don't know.
0: There was a very pretty girl who lived in Broccoli Road at a boarding house.
1: Mm, broccoli. Does <laughs> <Is> it smell <laughs> like food? No. Okay. <laughs> it's like, that's a weird name for it's, a street. It's
0: broccoli, not
1: broccoli. Oh. <laughs> I forgot we're in England. <laughs> broccoli.
0: There was a very pretty girl who lived in Broccoli Road at a boarding house. He did not like Miss Margaret Bellman because she was pretty, but because she was sensible, two terms which are, as a rule, antagonistic. He liked her so well that he often travelled home on the cars with her, and they used to discuss the Prince of Wales, the Labour government, the high cost of living, and other tender subjects with great animation. It was from Miss Bellman that he learned about her fellow boarder, Mrs. Carlin, and once he traveled back with her to Brockley, a frail, slim girl with experience in her face and the hint of tragedy in her fine eyes. So it happened that he knew all about Mr. Harry Carlin long before Lord Sellington sent for him— for Mr. Reader had the gift of evoking confidences by the suggestion rather than the expression of his sympathy. Well, So he's also quite good at reading people? and playing people. Yeah. <laughs> she spoke of her husband without bitterness, but also without regret. She knew him rather well despite the shortness of their married life. She hinted once, and inadvertently, that there was a rich relation to whose wealth her husband would be heir if he were a normal man. Her son would, in due course, be the possessor of a great title, and penniless.
1: What? (laughs) He'd have a title, but no money?
0: Apparently.
1: Well, I guess that's kind of like that unsolved mystery case we watched, where that, like, Duke or something. Like oh yeah,
0: the French guy who had a title, but is because
1: he would lost all his money. Yeah. like.
0: Well, I mean, that's the thing. A lot of uh, a lot of old money doesn't. In they don't Clody actually Fingers, have any money. It's yeah. It's yep. old money is actually often the absence of money, but the you don't have the money. You have the trappings of money.
1: You have the name.
0: She was at such pains to rectify her statement that Mister. Reader, suspicious of peerages that, come to Broccoli, was assured of her sincerity, however great might be her error.
1: What's peerages?
0: Peerage. Peers as a class, those holding a hereditary or honorable title.
1: Okay, so So friends of a certain stature.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Later, he learned that the title was that borne by the Right Honorable the Earl of Sellington and Manford. There came a slack time for the public prosecutor's office when it seemed that sin had gone out of the world, and Mr. Reader sat for weeks on end in his little room twiddling his thumbs or reading the advertisement columns of the Times or drawing grotesque men upon his blotting pad.
1: Uh, is he just creating his at-home grinder account? Like, what's? He- <laughs> I, well,
0: so I assume that what is meant is that grotesque and like the really, style of art. Well, I I assume just like they're really bad drawings. Oh. Like he's he's doing like <laughs> little stick figures.
1: Because there's also isn't there a grotesque style of art that is like very like almost gothic like yeah yeah. Uh, I I mean
0: I I my assumption is that he's just really bad. bad, But I like the version. I like
1: that he's drawing his own porn. Yeah. (laughs) He's just like I'm just twiddling my thumbs and searching on my own homemade grinder (laughs) account.
0: This this does predate Pornhub. (laughs) It
1: sure does.
0: So he's got to keep himself the BBC. (laughs) Got to keep yourself entertained somehow.
1: Got to find a way. He's not just twiddling his thumbs.
0: He's drawing a bunch of musty hussies. Mr. Reader sat for a week on end in his little room, twiddling his thumbs or reading the advertisement columns of the Times or drawing grotesque men upon his (laughs) blotting pad. Varying these performances with the excursions he was in the habit of making to those parts of London, which very few people chose for their recreation. See,
1: I'm telling you, he was drawing his musty hussies and then he was off to London to like meet them.
0: To visit his musty hussies. (laughs) Get get
1: down with the musty hussies. (laughs)
0: He loved to. Oh
1: no. Oh no. Oh no.
0: He loved to poke about the slum areas which lie in the neighborhood <laughs> of the great Surrey docks.
1: Yeah. You get down where the sailors get down. That's where all the hussies are. He'd
0: poking his He's musty po- hussies.
1: Poking his musty hussies on the docks.
0: He was not averse from <laughs> frequenting the north side of the river again in the dock areas. <laughs> <laughs> but when his chief asked him whether he spent much time at Limehouse, Mr. Reader replied with a pathetic smile. Oh. <laughs> "No, sir," he said gently. "I read about such places. I find them infinitely more interesting in the pages of a uh novel."
1: "What's the Limehouse? Is it like the 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 giddy-up house?" Like what is- <laughs> Oh that is the that is the name of the district by the docks. Limehouse uh. is a regenerated former dockland area where housing is con, uh in converted warehouses. So now it has been converted into like housing and stuff. Um but like back in like the the days it was like a dirty dockside area. Yeah. Yeah, now it's like where you can buy like really expensive lofts. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Like now it is basically the meatpacking district of New York.
0: It's the, it's the part of town that used to be super, sketched super and sketch.
1: Super <laughs> sketch. Now, now it's, you have
0: to have a trust fund yep, to live there. Now
1: there, it, now it has a yacht filled Marina. <laughs> Fucking white people.
0: <laughs> I read about such places. I find them infinitely more interesting in the pages of a, uh, novel. Yes, there are foreigners there, and I suppose foreigners are romantic, but even they do not add romance to Limehouse, which is the most respectable and law-abiding corner of the East End.
1: So, that's saying something.
0: Hmm. (laughs) One morning, the public prosecutor sent for his chief detective, and Mr. Reader obeyed the summons with a light step and a pleasant sense of anticipation. "'Go over to the foreign office and have a talk with Lord Sellington,' said the prosecutor. "'He is rather worried about his nephew, Harry Carlin. Do you know the name?' Mr. Reader shook his head. For the moment, he did not associate the pale girl who typed for her living." He's a pretty bad lot, explained the prosecutor, and unfortunately he's Sellington's heir. I rather imagine the old gentleman wants you to confirm his view. Dear me, said Mr. Reader, and stole forth. Lord Sellington, Under Secretary of State for Foreign Affairs, was a bachelor and an immensely rich man. He had been rich in 1912 when, in a panic due to certain legislation, which he thought would affect him adversely as a great landowner, he sold his estates and invested the larger bulk of his fortune, against all expert advice, in American industrial stocks.
1: Oh my god. (laughs) Fucking American real estate assholes. The war
0: had tripled his possessions. Heavy investments in oil lands had made him many times a millionaire— he was a philanthropist, gave liberally to institutions devoted to the care of young children. He was the founder of the Eastleigh Children's Home and subscribed liberally to other similar institutions. A thin, rather sour-faced man, he glared up under his shaggy eyebrows as Mr. Reader sidled unapologetically into his room.
1: Okay, now he's... So this guy's played by Peter Gallagher. <laughs> and he, <laughs> He's got fuzzy like young Peter Gallagher, like uh while you were sleeping, Peter Gallagher.
0: (laughs) Big eyebrows.
1: Big fluffy eyebrows.
0: So you're reader, eh? He grumbled, and was evidently not very much impressed by his visitor. Sit down, sit down, he said testily walked to the door as though he were not certain that Mr. Reader had closed it, and came back and flopped into his chair on the other side of the table. I have sent for you in preference to notifying the police, he said. Sir James speaks of you, Mr. Reader, as a gentleman of discretion. Oh,
1: He's a policeman, a sketchy policeman.
0: (laughs) Mr. Reader bowed slightly, and there followed a long and awkward pause, which the undersecretary ended in an abrupt, irritable way. I have a nephew, Harry Carlin. I like to think
1: that he just farted to break the <laughs> silence. and
0: <then laughs> Mr. Reader bowed slightly, and there followed a long and awkward pause, which the <laughs> undersecretary ended in an abrupt, irritable way. <laughs> I have a nephew, Harry Carlin. You know him? I know of him, said mister Reader, truthfully. In his walk to the Foreign Office he had remembered the deserted wife. Then you know nothing good of him, exploded his lordship. The man is a blackguard, a waster, a disgrace to the name he bears. If he were not my brother's son, I would have him under lock and key tonight, the scoundrel. I have four bills in my possession. He stopped himself, pulled open a drawer savagely, took out a letter, and slammed it on the table. Read that, he snapped.
1: It's very intense. He's cranky. <laughs> he's cranky and he's got gas. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'd be cranky too.
1: Yeah, it makes you cranky.
0: <laughs> Mr. Reader pulled his glasses a little further up his nose. He always held them very tight when he was really using them and perused the message. It was headed the Eastly Home for Children and was a brief request for 5,000 pounds which the writer said "'he would send for that evening. "'It was signed Arthur Lassard.' "'You know Lassard, of course,' said his lordship. "'He is the gentleman associated with me in my philanthropic work. "'Certain monies were due for land which we purchased adjoining the home.' "'As you probably know, there are lawyers who never accept checks for properties they sell on behalf of their clients, "'and I had the money ready and left it with my secretary, and one of Lassard's people was calling for it. "'That it was called for, I need hardly tell you,' said his lordship grimly. "'Whoever planned the coup planned it well.' They knew I would be speaking in the House of Lords last night. They also knew that I had recently changed my secretary and had engaged a gentleman to whom most of my associates are strangers. A bearded man came for the money at half-past six, produced a note from Mr. Lassard, and that was the end of the money. Except that we have discovered that it was changed this morning into American bills." Of course, both letters were forged. Lassard never signed either, and made no demand whatever for the money, which was not needed for another week. "'Did anybody know about this transaction?' asked Mr. Reader. His lordship nodded slowly. "'My nephew knew. "'He came to my house two days ago to borrow money.' He has a small income from his late mother's estate, but insufficient to support him in his reckless extravagance. He admitted frankly to me, he that, he frankly to me that he had come back from Aix? Aix? <laughs> Ice?
1: He's part of Ice? Armani
0: Exchange? <laughs>
1: Well, that is. Expensive. He admitted frankly
0: to me that he had come back from Armani Exchange Wait, broke. A I X.
1: A I X. Oh, en Provence, like southern France.
0: Ah. Yeah. So he was he was chilling the French Riviera yeah, the and Fr- came yeah. back broke.
1: Yeah, like because he went gambling and shit. Yeah, Monte Carlo and all that fucking shit. Yeah, bye. <laughs>
0: "'He had admitted frankly to me that he had come back from ex-broke. "'How long he had been in London I am unable to tell you, "'but he was in my library when my secretary came in with the money "'which I had drawn from the bank in preparation for paying the bill when it became due. "'Very foolishly I explained why I had so much cash in the house "'and why I was unable to oblige him with the thousand pounds which he wanted to borrow.' he added dourly. Mr. Reader scratched his chin. What am I to do, he asked. I want you to find Carlin, Lord Sellington almost snarled. But most, I want that money back. You understand, Reader? You're to tell him that unless he repays, Mr. Reader was gazing steadily at the cornice molding, "'It almost sounds as if I am being asked to compound a felony, my lord,' he said respectfully. "'But I realize in the peculiar circumstances we must adopt peculiar methods. "'The black-bearded gentleman who called for the money would appear to have been,' he hesitated, "'disguised?' Of course he was disguised, said the other irritably. <laughs>
1: this guy's <is> so mad. <laughs> he needs some Pepto-Bismol and, like, a meditation practice.
0: Some, some, some Gas-X.
1: Gas-X and, like, his Breathe app. <laughs> like, <laughs> calm down, bro. You got plenty of money. Ew, man. Come on.
0: "'One reads of such things,' said Mr. Reader with a sigh, "'but so seldom does the bearded stranger appear in real life. "'Will you be good enough to tell me your nephew's address?' "'Lord Sellington took a card from his pocket "'and threw it across the table. "'It fell to the floor, but he did not apologize.'"
1: "'Cause he's an asshole.'"
0: "'He was that kind of man.'" <laughs>
1: "'Yeah, exactly.'"
0: German Mansions, said Mr. Reader as he rose, I will see what can be done. Lord Sellington grunted something that might have been a tender farewell, but probably was not.
1: (laughs) It probably was a fart.
0: (laughs) German Mansions, said Mr. Reader as he rose, I will see what can be done. German Mansions <laughs> is a very small, narrow-fronted building, and as Mister Reader knew, and he knew a great deal, was a block of residential flats which were run by an ex-butler who was also the lease, l- lessee. Ah, who was also the lessee of the establishment. By great good fortune, as he afterwards learned. Harry Carlin was at home, and in a few minutes the man from the public prosecutor's office was ushered into a shabby drawing room that overlooked Jermyn Street. A tall young man stood by the window, looking disconsolately into that narrow and lively thoroughfare, and turned as Mr. Reeder was announced. Thin-faced, narrow-headed, small-eyed, if he possessed any of the family traits and failings, the most marked was perhaps his too-ready irritation.
1: They're all just fucking stick-up-the-ass angry.
0: (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, at least he has a right to be. This guy is probably broke in a way that he owes lots of people. Money. But
1: didn't he just steal a bunch of money from his uncle?
0: Maybe. We don't know. We, we, know, that, we know that we know that two thinks. letters were forged, yeah. but it could be that someone else stole it before he got a chance to steal it.
1: That's probably true, and that's also why he's got a big stick up his ass. He's <laughs> so like, damn, someone fucked up my crime. I was going to be rich. I was going to go back to France <laughs> and be real cool. Draw me like one of your French girls. <laughs>
0: Draw me like one of the musty hussies from Lime... Lime...
1: Lime Street? Lime, Lime Burrow? Stone, Lime, Lime, Lime... Lime...
0: Lime Kiln Pike?
1: Lime, <laughs> Lime House. Yeah. <laughs> that place. Draw me
0: like one of your musty, musty hussies, hussies from Limehouse. Yeah. Mr. Reader saw through an open door a very untidy bedroom, caught a glimpse of a battered trunk covered with continental labels. Well, what the devil do you want, demanded Mr. Carlin, yet in spite of his tone, there was an undercurrent of disquiet which Mr. Reader detected. May I sit down, said the detective, and without waiting for an invitation, pulled a chair from the wall and sat down (laughs) gingerly, for he knew the quality of the lodging house chairs. (laughs) His self possession, the hint of authority he carried in his voice, increased Mr. Harry Carlin's uneasiness. And when Mr. Reader plunged straight into the object of his visit, he saw the man go pale. It is a difficult subject to open, said Mr. Reader, carefully smoothing his knees. And when I find myself in the predicament, I usually employ the plainest language. And plain language he employed with a vengeance. Halfway through, Carlin sat down with a gasp. What? What? He stammered. Does that old brute dare? I thought you came up with the bills! I mean... I mean, said Mr. Reader carefully, that... "'If you have had a little fun with your relative, I think that jest has gone far enough. (laughs) "'Lord Sellington is prepared on the money being refunded "'to regard the whole thing as an over-elaborate practical joke on your part. "'But I haven't touched his beastly money!' the young man almost screamed. "'I don't want his money!' "'On the contrary, sir,' said Mr. Reader gently. "'You want it very badly.' You left the Hotel Continental without paying your bill. You owe some 600 pounds to various gentlemen from whom you borrowed that amount. There is a warrant out for you in France for passing cheques which are usually described by the vulgar as, uh, dud.
1: <laughs> so he's Frank Abagnale of his time. Yep. <laughs> And like, years before Frank nailed and Catch Me If You Can, like, he's just like, going around France, and trust me, you don't want to get arrested in France, because those jail cells back in the day were not great.
0: No. <laughs> Indeed. Again, Mr. Reader scratched his chin and looked thoughtfully out the window. Indeed, "'I know no gentleman in German Street who is so badly in need of money as your good self.' Carlin would have stopped him, but the middle-aged man went on remorselessly. "'I have been for an hour in the record department of Scotland Yard where your name is not unknown.' Mr. Carlin, you left London rather hurriedly to avoid, uh, proceedings of an unpleasant character. Bills, I think you said. You are known to have been the associate of people with whom the police are a little better acquainted than they are with Mr. Carlin.' You were also associated with a race course fraud of a peculiarly unpleasant character. And amongst your minor delinquencies, there is uh, a deserted young wife at present engaged in the city office as typist and a small boy for whom you have never provided.
1: Oh, shit. So he uh, Wallace basically just wrote his own story. Like, he's like. Uh, you had broom closet sex with this, this secretary and uh, haven't paid your child support, you piece of shit. <laughs> what a dick. What a dick.
0: Carlin licked his lips. Ew. <laughs> Is that all? He asked with an attempt at a sneer, though his voice shook and his trembling hands betrayed his agitation. Reader nodded. Well... "'I'll tell you something. I want to do the right thing by my wife. I admit I haven't played square with her, but I never had the money to play square. "'That old devil has always been rolling in it. Curse him. I'm the only relation he has, and what has he done? Left every bean to these damned children's homes of his.' If somebody has caught him for $5,000, i am glad. I shouldn't have the nerve to do it myself, but I'm glad if they did, whoever they may be. Left every penny to a lot of squalling, sticky-faced oh. brats and not a bean to me.
1: What a twat-nast. I don't even know what that is.
0: Twat-nast?
1: <laughs> I wanted to call him a lot of names at the same time, and I just... That's what came out.
0: Twat-nast.
1: <laughs> He's a nasty twat.
0: I like twatnast.
1: <laughs> you too. I'm like, ooh, I just invented a new, like...
0: New hashtag. New
1: hashtag. Hashtag twatnast.
0: Mr. Reader let him rave on without interruption until at last, almost exhausted by his effort, he dropped down into a deep chair and glared at his visitor. Tell him that, he said breathly. Tell him that. Mr. Reader made time to call at the little office in Portugal Street, wherein was housed the headquarters of Lord Sellington's various philanthropic enterprises.
1: I'm going to guess these philanthropic enterprises ain't so philanthropic.
0: I think it's a a shell corporation.
1: Yeah, something like that.
0: Mr. Arthur Lassard had evidently been in communication with his noble patron, for no sooner did Reader give his name than he was ushered into the plainly furnished room where the superintendent sat. It was not unnatural that Lord Sellington should have his assistant in the good works so famous an organizer as Mr. Arthur. Arthur Lassard. Mr. Lassard's activities in the philanthropic world were many. A broad-shouldered man with a jolly red face and a bald head, he had survived all the attacks which come the way of men engaged in charitable work, and was not particularly impressed by a recent visit he had had from Harry Carlin. I don't wish to be unkind, he said, but our friend called here on such a lame excuse that I can't help feeling that his real object was to secure a sheet of my stationery. I did, in fact, leave him in the room for a few minutes, and he had the opportunity to pulloin the paper if he desired.
1: He got that watermark shit, and he's like, yeah, now I can pretend I'm this, and yep.
0: "'Smooth.' "'What was his excuse?' asked Mr. Reader, and the other shrugged. "'He wanted money. "'At first he was civil and asked me to persuade his uncle. "'Then he grew abusive, said that I was conspiring to rob him, "'I and my infernal charities.' "'He chuckled, but grew grave again.' The situation is mysterious to me, he said. Evidently, Carlin has committed some crime against his lordship, for he is terrified of him. You think Mr. Carlin forged your name and secured the money? The superintendent spread out his arms in despair. Who else can I suspect? he asked. Mr. Reader took the forged letter from his pocket and read it again. "'I've just been on the phone to his lordship,' Mr. Lassard went on. "'He is waiting, of course, to hear your report, "'and if you have failed to make this young man confess his guilt, "'Lord Sellington intends seeing his nephew tonight "'and making an appeal to him. "'I can hardly believe that Mr. Carlin could have done this wicked thing, "'though the circumstances seem very suspicious. "'Have you seen him, Mr. Reader?' I have seen him, said Mr. Reader shortly. Oh, yes, I have seen him. (laughs) Mr. Arthur Lassard was scrutinizing his face as though he were trying to read the conclusion which the detective had reached, but Mr. Reader's face was notoriously expressionless. He offered a limp hand and went back to the Undersecretary's house. The interview was short, and on the whole... Disagreeable. I never dreamt he would confess to you, said Lord Sellington with ill disguised contempt. Harry needs somebody to frighten him, and my God, I'm the man to do it. I'm seeing him tonight. Uh A fit of coughing stopped him, and he gulped savagely from a little medicine bottle that stood on his desk. I'll see him tonight he gasped, and I'll tell him what I intend doing. I've spared him hitherto because of his relationship and because he inherits the title, but I'm through. Every cent I have goes to charity. I'm good for twenty years yet, but every penny he stopped. He was a man who never disguised his emotion, and Mr. Reader, who understood men, saw the struggle that was going on in Sellington's mind. "'He says he hasn't had a chance. I may have treated him unfairly. We shall see.' "'He waved the detective from his office as though he were dismissing a strange dog "'that had intruded upon his privacy, and Mr. Reader went out reluctantly, "'for he had something to tell his lordship. "'It was peculiar to him that, in his more secretive moments— "'he sought the privacy of his old-fashioned study in Brockley Road. "'For two hours he sat at his desk calling a succession of numbers, "'and, curiously enough, the gentlemen to whom he spoke were bookmakers. "'Most of them he knew.' In the days when he was the greatest expert in the world on forged currency notes, he had been brought into contact with a class which is often the innocent medium by which the forger distributed his handicraft and more often the instrument of his detection.
1: Bookmakers as in like book, bookies? Like, like
0: bookkeepers. For, for, for like gambling. For gambling, for like, horse for, racing. For, for stocks. Yeah. for all that
1: stuff. Okay, yep.
0: Uh, it was a Friday, a day on which most of the principals were in their office till a late hour. At eight o'clock, he finished, wrote a note, and phoning for a messenger, sent his letter on its fateful errand. He spent the rest of the evening musing on past experiences and in refreshing his memory from the thin scrapbooks which filled two shelves on his study. Oh, He keeps photo albums. That's cute.
1: Aww. I bet they're not. I bet they're creepy.
0: But they're full, full of doodles of grotesque men. <laughs> what happened elsewhere that evening can best be told in the plain language of the witness box. Lord Sellington had gone home after his interview with Mr. Reader, suffering from a feverish cold, and was disposed, according to the evidence of his secretary, to put off the interview which he had arranged with his nephew. Oh, I'm
1: glad he wasn't just disposed. And he was disposed of.
0: Whoops. Whoops. A telephone message had been sent through to Mr. Carlin's hotel, but he was out. Until nine o'clock, his lordship was busy with the affairs of his numerous charities, Mr. Lassard being in attendance. Lord Sellington was working in a small study which opened from his bedroom. At a quarter past nine, Carlin arrived and was shown upstairs by the butler, who subsequently stated that he heard voices raised in anger. Mister Carlin came downstairs and was shown out as the clock struck half past nine. And a few minutes later, the bell rang for Mister Sellington's valet, who went up to assist his master to bed. The valet. The valet. You're (laughs) right. This is this is English. He's the valet.
1: I watched way too much Down (laughs) Nabby.
0: At half past seven the next morning, the valet... Who slept in an adjoining apartment Went into his master's room To take him a cup of tea He found his employer lying Face downward on the floor He was dead And had been dead for some hours Called
1: that shit (laughs) There
0: was no sign of wounds And at first glance it looked as though This man of 60 Had collapsed in the night
1: Well yeah he was coughing He probably gave himself a damn heart attack Because he's so freaked out But uh
0: oh. There were circumstances which pointed to some unusual happening. In Lord Sellington's bedroom was a small steel wall safe, and the first thing the valet noticed was that this was open. Papers were lying on the floor, and that in the grate was a heap of paper which, except for one corner, was entirely broken. Burnt.
1: Uh-oh.
0: The ballot telephoned immediately for the doctor and for the police, and from that moment the case went out of mister Reader's able hands. Later that morning, he reported briefly to his superior the result of his inquiries. Murder, I'm afraid, he said sadly. The home office pathologist is perfectly certain that it is a case of a- a- A conit, a a sonatine, a sonatine, poisoning. A A C O N I T I N E. It's some kind of poison.
1: Also known as wolfsbane, it's from a plant.
0: Ooh, he was poisoned by wolfsbane. Yeah. Crap, is Lord Sellington a werewolf?
1: It's the queen of poisons, noted as a heart poison. But also a nerve poison.
0: The Home Office pathologist is perfectly certain that it is a case of Wolfsbane poisoning. The paper in the hearth has been photographed, and there is no doubt whatever that the burned document is the will by which Lord Sellington left all his property to various charitable institutions. He paused there. Well, asked the chief. What does that mean? Mr. Reader coughed. It means that if his will cannot be proved, and I doubt whether it can, his lordship died intestate. The property goes with the title. To Carlin, asked the startled prosecutor. Mr. Reader nodded. There were other things burnt, four small oblong slips of paper which had evidently been fastened together by a pin. These are quite indecipherable, he sighed again. The public prosecutor looked up. You haven't mentioned the letter that arrived by district messenger after Lord Sellington had retired for the night? Mr. Reader rubbed his chin. No, I didn't mention that he said reluctantly. "'Has it been found?' Mr. Reader hesitated. "'I don't know. I rather think that it has not been,' he said. (laughs) "'Sketchy.' "'Would it throw any light upon the crime, do you think?' Mr. Reader scratched his chin with some sign of embarrassment. "'I should think it might.' He said, ''Will you excuse me, sir? Inspector Salter is waiting for me.'' And he was out of the room before the prosecutor could frame any further inquiry. The inspector Salter was striding impatiently up and down the little room when Mr. Reader came back. They left the building together. The car that was waiting for them brought them to German Street in a few minutes. Outside the flat, three plainclothes men were waiting, evidently, for the arrival of their chief, and the inspector passed into the building, followed closely by Mr. Reader. They were halfway up the stairs when Reader asked, Does Carlin know you? He ought to, was the grim reply. I did my best to get him penal servitude before he skipped from England. <laughs>
1: <laughs> penal servitude. Well, it really nice. is It's either a BDSM club or it's like prison. <laughs> There's nowhere in between. Yeah.
0: Or it's just what you order off the menu from the Musty Hussies.
1: <laughs> what are you here for love? Penal, oh, penal servitude. servitude. Please. <laughs> Twice.
0: <laughs> hmm said Mr. Reader. I'm sorry he knows you. Why? The inspector stopped on the stairs to ask the question. Because he saw us getting out of the cab. I caught sight of his face, and he stopped suddenly. THE SOUND OF A SHOT THUNDERED THROUGH THE HOUSE, AND IN ANOTHER SECOND, THE INSPECTOR WAS RACING UP THE STAIRS, TWO AT A TIME, AND HAD BURST INTO THE SUITE WHICH CARLIN OCCUPIED. A GLIMPSE OF THE PROSTRATE FIGURE TOLD THEM THEY WERE TOO LATE. THE INSPECTOR BENT OVER THE DEAD MAN. THAT HAS SAVED THE COUNTRY, THE COST OF A MURDER TRIAL, HE SAID. I THINK NOT, SAID MR. READER GENTLY, AND EXPLAINED HIS REASONS. "'Half an hour later, as Mr. Lassard walked out of his office, the detective tapped him on the shoulder. "'Your name is Eiter,' he said, "'and I want you for murder.' "'It was a very simple case, really, sir,' explained Mr. Reader to his chief. "'Eiter, of course, was known to me personally, "'but I remembered especially that he could not spell the word able. "'And I recognized this peculiarity in our friend "'the moment I saw the letter which he wrote to his patron asking for the money. "'It was Eiter himself who drew up the five thousand pounds, "'of that I'm convinced.' The man is, and always has been, an inveterate gambler, (laughs) and I did not have to make many inquiries before I discovered that he was owing a large sum of money and that one bookmaker had threatened to bring him before Tattersall's committee unless he paid. That would have meant an end of Mr. Lassard, the philanthropic custodian of children, which, by the way, was always Eiter's role. He ran bogus charitable societies. It is extraordinarily easy to find dupes who are willing to subscribe for philanthropic objects. Okay, Many so years the one ago, guy
1: wasn't an asshole. He actually was giving his money to charity, but it was a shitty his boat podunk his charity. His like that, his
0: business manager essentially yeah, was was an uh,
1: asshole was was, was
0: running was well was running a fake yeah. charity yeah. and snaking the money from Lord Selington. They- uh Many years ago, when I was a young man, I was instrumental in getting him seven years. I'd lost sight of him since then until I saw the letter he was... Uh, I'd lost sight of him since then until I saw the letter he sent to Lord Sellington. Unfortunately for him, one line ran, I shall be glad if you are able to let my messenger have the money. And he spelt able... "'in the eiter way. "'I called on him and made sure, "'and then I wrote to his lordship, "'who apparently did not open the letter till late that night.' "'Eiter had called on him earlier in the evening, and had had a long talk with him. "'I only surmised that Lord Sellington had expressed a doubt as to whether he ought to leave his nephew penniless. "'Scoundrel though he was, and Eiter was terrified that his scheme for getting possession of the old man's money was in danger of failing. "'Moreover, my appearance in the case had scared him. "'He decided to kill Lord Sellington that night.' Took Wolfsbane, (laughs) not going to try to pronounce that one again, (laughs) took Wolfsbane with him to the house and introduced it into the medicine, the bottle of which always stood on Sellington's desk.
1: See, he was always taking his Pepto-Bismol and got him fucked up. See, we knew he was gassy all along.
0: Whether the old man destroyed the will which disinherited his nephew before he discovered he had been poisoned or whether he did it after, we shall never know. When I had satisfied myself that Lassard was Eiter, I sent a letter by special messenger to Stratford Place. That was the letter delivered by a special messenger? Mr. Reader nodded. It is possible that Sellington was already under the influence of the drug when he burnt the will and burnt, too, the four bills which Carlin had forged and which the old man had held over his head as a threat. Carlin may have known his uncle was dead. He certainly recognized the inspector when he stepped out of the car and, thinking he was to be arrested for forgery, shot himself. Mr. Reader pursed his lips and his melancholy face grew longer. I wish I had never known Mrs. Carlin. My acquaintance with her introduces that element of coincidence which is permissible in stories but is so distressing in actual life. It shakes one's confidence in the logic of things. The end.
1: Well, damn. Old man reader telling of the tales of his, uh, his, uh, detective days. Yeah. <laughs> and the musty hussies and, <laughs> and the Limehouse and, uh, the, f- the farting on, the farting philanthropist.
0: <laughs> Gaseous philanthropist. No, flatulent philanthropist.
1: Flatulent philanthropist. There's a the, warm up.
0: The tale of the flatulent, flatulent philanthropist.
1: philanthropist. If we, now this is in public domain, if we ever, uh. Make a play or a movie of it. I think that's the title.
0: <laughs> the the folly of the flatulent philanthropist
1: and his musty husties. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was fun. That was cool. I uh, I I did not know where that was going. No. I like I remembered the beginning, like the whole setup of like this is the tale, but then I like kind of. Thought we were to a different case until about halfway through. I'm like, oh, he's retelling the tale of when he found of, this guy. Yeah, but from... then I was like, which one is it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Who is the guy? But yeah, that was fun. I I like Wallace. That's that's good stuff. That's that's some uh, sketchy te- detective work. I like it. Yeah, <laughs> but again, it's... he didn't do anything bad. He no. was just like kind of he was doing the undercover thing almost. He's, like he, he was he was saying he was a detective, but he wasn't there under a official capacity.
0: Well, he's also clearly, he's the cop who doesn't mind hanging out in the rough neighborhoods. Yeah. Mr. J.G. Reader, welcome to the public domain.
1: But not J.G. Wentworth. (laughs) I don't remember.
0: (laughs) No, not that.
1: Don't call J.G. Wentworth.
0: (laughs) Now, Mr. Reader, welcome to the public domain. Uh Mr. Welcome. Wallace, welcome to Campfire Classics.
1: Welcome, Mr. Wallace. <laughs> that was kind of Welcome, sexy. Mr. Wallace.
0: Happy birthday, birthday. Mr. Mr. Wallace.
1: Cuckoo ca <laughs> <laughs> And we're off the rails. Uh yeah, so if you if you like what you hear, share it. Um, uh, last week we released uh, a new true crimes and a lie, uh, so you can check that out if you missed that. And uh, we are on all your podcast platforms. Uh, you can also find us on Instagram, uh, Twitter, Facebook, and a TikTok because we're cool. Because
0: <laughs> now we're no, I was gonna say because we're grown ups, but no, it's. <laughs>
1: We are grown Because ups. we're
0: children, so you can find us on TikTok.
1: TikTok's actually, I'm really addictive. I'm obsessed. <laughs> <laughs> like, there's farm animals and, like, resin artists, and I'm I'm pretty into it. So, uh, yeah, you can find us now on TikTok as well. So uh, check it out, and uh, send us an email if you want at 5050artsproduction at gmail.com, or you can reach us again on the website. And become a patron if you want, like Stefan, because yeah. he's cool as hell. And Thanks, you could dude. be cool, too. You are cool. You are cool for listening. You made it
0: this far. You're yeah. freaking awesome.
1: Yeah. So we love you guys and uh stay strong. It's uh let's see how many uh how many years pass between this episode and the next one.
0: <laughs> Only in our minds. Yes. Because in reality, as always, we will see you next Tuesday.
1: See you next Tuesday <laughs> with the Musty Hussies. Meow.
0: Uh, Thank you for joining us (laughs) This has been Campfire Classics Where we try to read those books That look really good on your shelf That was the most horrifying cat noise To come out since the movie Cats